awesome. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in freedom to worship you this morning. Uh, Lord, we see you as the one who has suffered for us. And Lord, as we sang earlier, Lord, we, we proclaim your greatness this morning. And as we look into, uh, Lord, your, your text, your words, and as we consider how we see you and see ourselves, Lord, I just pray that you would just, you know, open the eyes of our hearts, help us to see what you would have us see this morning, and we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Please be seated. Um, yeah, this morning we are um, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. So if you have your copy of the Word of God this morning, I invite you to turn there or scroll there on your phones, however you do it. And as you're doing that, let's, uh, let's just have a quick little talk about greatness and how we see it. Um, since we were here last week, we, um, we discovered who the, uh, the greatest college baseball team is this year, right? <laughs> yeah, go Tigers. Mm-hmm. Yep, and on that team, there is uh, a couple of players uh, that even the sports guys on TV are going, hey, these are the greatest players in college baseball right now, the greatest players on the greatest team uh, that have a good chance of going number one in the uh, Major League Baseball draft, and we'll see. But I'm, look, I get it. It's all temporary. I like to stand up here right now, and I just don't want to preach when the Aggies get back on top, all right? I just want to do that. But here's, a, here's, a, here's the thing. We have to understand that that form of greatness, um, and it just comes and goes, and it's just it's transient. It's never really ultimately fulfilling, and it's not what Jesus tells us is true greatness at all. You're not great if you can throw a baseball super fast, Ultimately, you're not great because you got a bunch of money and cool cars and lake houses and all that fun stuff. That's not what makes you great. You're not great because of your popularity um, at all. You know, I've had a, um, I've had the opportunity to work with people over the past couple of decades, and I've had the opportunity to work with people that are um, CEOs of their companies. You know, um, major league uh, sports athletes, um, and I've had the opportunity to work. Uh, in, in more recent years, because this wasn't a thing back in the day, um, people that are legitimately known as influencers on the internet, okay? And uh, super famous people, a lot of stuff going on in their lives, but man, when you sit down face to face, really only the, the only true greatness comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace for you. Um, all that other stuff, it just, it, it just plays out. It just just, just doesn't last. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, um, just how we see ourselves. And I hope and pray that God would do a couple of things, uh, he, that he would help us to see a little bit more clearly about who he is and what he has done for us, and that he would also help us to see a little more clearly about who we are and how we think and how we operate. And then, you know, what, and then at the end, like, what do we do with all of this? That's that's tip. That's the way we're going to try to go today. So um, if you got your Bibles, uh, um, and if you don't, don't sweat it. The Scripture is going to be on the screen. Uh, but I want to read the text first and just let it speak for itself, and, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Beginning in verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. 
And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do? And then they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism of, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or to my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And then Jesus called them and said, hey, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, as we have read your word uh, this morning, and we think about what it means to be a servant, and we think what it means for us to be great as you define it, help us to see ourselves. Help us to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this passage, it really breaks down into, into, into three parts. Um, if you can look at the, um, it, it's the first verse. It starts with the cross. I, like, I, like, I love the way it lays out. It starts with the cross, beginning in verse 32, all the way through verse 34. And then it ends with the cross in verse 45. And then in between, we get the need for the cross. We have a clear description of the depth of our need for grace. So Jesus just clearly puts out there, here's what's about to go down. And then at the end, we get, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And in between, we get a good glimpse of the disciples and therefore a glimpse of ourselves. And so that's, that's how the passage breaks down for us this morning. Uh, but if you um, have your copy of the Word of God, and you have the, a type of a Bible that talks about, that gives you the little headings, you know, uh, at least in mine it says, Jesus foretells his death a third time. 
So this is the third time that the disciples are hearing from Jesus about what's going to go down. And over and over and over again, they just simply don't get it. And look, and here's, it's easy to look back at the other two, and we should, because I think it all it gives us more context. If you just flip back one page, so we just read time three. Let's turn back one page and find the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. It says, and they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Uh, he was teaching his disciples, where he said, here it is, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Verse 32, but they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask. Okay, now, just one chapter back in chapter 8, right about the same place, in the middle of the chapter, beginning in verse um, 31 of Mark 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and here it is again, and be killed. And after three days will rise again. And here, look, at, I love the way it says, verse 32, first phrase, and he said this plainly. He said it plainly. And Peter... Another example of them just not getting it. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> I think if there's anybody you don't want to rebuke, it's probably Jesus, uh, but he does. Um, verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, like so bottom, Peter's rebuking Jesus, and Jesus looks and sees the disciples and went, mm, this isn't good. And so then he turns and rebukes Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And that is one of the key things that we're going to have to grab out of today's message is at least an evaluation and hopefully, you know, a challenge for us to keep seeing this world, what we do, who we are, everybody around us in light of the kingdom of God, see the things not of this world. Um, that is our challenge. Now, as we get in through the text, um, gosh, let's just go with verse 33. We're going up to Jerusalem. Son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him, and after three days he will rise. He is the sacrificial lamb of God. The disciples, as we've already looked at it in the last two times that Jesus has told them this, and this is time three, three times a charm, yeah, not actually, didn't turn out. They still, it's going to take them a while to figure out because they know, man, son of man is a very much of a messianic term, and, and they're thinking about, you know, the political messiah and this and that and the other, but we're going to, we're going to get up there and mm, we're going to do some cool things, and it's awesome, Jesus is doing all these awesome things, and they just don't get it, and a lot of people are going, man, that guy can do some really cool stuff, right? He teaches well, he's even a prophet. It, but he's so much more. He is the sacrificial lamb of God and by which there is not salvation any other way except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he says. This is about to happen. And then from there, we get to, you know, these things. Um, how, did, how did the disciples respond? It's super funny to me. Um, not funny. It's 
interesting to me, let me say it like this, that, you know, Jesus is talking about his, you know, his, his death, going to be mocked, spit on, flogged. Hmm. And then they come up to him and say, hey, we want you to do something for us. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, what in the world? And I think there's a handful of things that I just want to just pull out of the text this morning uh, that really shows us the consequences of sin. And that would be the first one. That, you know, sin causes us to be incredibly discompassionate toward the needs of other people. Because ultimately sin is a self-centeredness. We think about ourselves. We're always in our own mind's eye. And sometimes we could just be very discompassionate toward the needs of others. You know, if you just, I don't know, maybe this is such a small example, but let's just say you, you know, you're hanging out with your buddies and you just gave them some really tough news and they went, hmm, you still got tickets to the Mavs game? We can go with you? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, did you not just hear me? I mean, this is exponentially greater than that. But here's the thing. What God wants us to know and what he wants us to know through his word is that self-centeredness is at the crux of sin. And, um, you can write down, we don't have the verses on the screen, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Let me just read a phrase from that verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 said, And he died for all, hear this now, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Let me just say that again. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. Because living for ourselves is one of the consequences of sin. We just see us. And we are focused on ourselves. All too often, we walk around, we speak with people, and we do things, and in the center of our mind is us. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's actually um, a real cause for, um, for depression. It really is. When your eyes are just in on you, and you're wondering how you're doing, how you're measuring up, are you achieving this, and you're thinking about that, Golly, if you could just take your eyes from in to out and see other people and actually serve, ooh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. And I remember uh, a bunch of years ago, I was working at this organization, and every, every week we had this early-in-the-week staff meeting whereby you're around this conference room table, and one of the things that happened at that staff meeting every week was everybody had to say, hey, this is what I've been doing, this is what I'm about to do. You know, it's one of those, hey, you know, or it's one of those things where every week, what have you been doing and what are you going to do? And so around this table, every person on that staff was just, you know, had to, had to get into that stuff, right? Uh, super interesting uh, because when everybody shows up to that meeting, there's not a whole lot of just light chit-chat. Why? Because everybody's focused on their thing, right? I got to do my thing. And, um, and then there's one guy on the staff who just came in and I, I saw his demeanor just changed and, and he ends up, you know, so I just said to him, I said, hey, I don't want to overstep, but man, you just kind of seem like you're in a funk, you know, in those meetings. And then he said this to me. He goes, I walk in that staff meeting, and he was always typically a little bit late, so everybody's already sitting down. And he goes, I just think everybody's looking at me and critiquing the way I'm dressed. They critique the what I say and blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey, time out. <laughs> Ain't nobody thinking about you at all, <laughs> you know? Honestly, everybody's just thinking about their own thing. And he went, really? I went, I promise you, man. Nobody's walking in thinking about, oh, look at that guy's shoes. I mean, that's just not a thing, you know? I honestly don't think it's a deal. But another illustration 
is this. Whenever, um, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, when I was preaching here, I spoke about a guy named Travis. I had to go do this fingerprinting thing um, for this licensure, um, state licensure deal, and I wasn't arrested. I need to always say, I wouldn't, you know. But this guy, great guy, I really enjoyed him. And we get in there, and you have to do all this stuff. You have to, like, lay your hands just right and relax your fingers and all this, all this stuff. And he goes, I tell everybody they start off with me at an A+. And he goes, by the end of this, I'll tell you what grade you got based on if I'm going to do all of these things. It's like 10 different things to, to not forget. And I said, okay. And he said, most people, they start off with the B right from the jump. I went, really? Why? He goes, because I asked him a question. And I said, what's the question? I just asked him, what's my name? Because I just introduced myself to you about five minutes ago. What's my name? And I, whew, I got it. Your name is Travis. And he went, yes. He goes, you will be surprised at how... So many people don't even get it from like five minutes. Like, yeah, you told me your name. And that's good. We get that, right? We're always running around seeing it. And again, I'm not, not that great at that, honestly. I, I need people to tell me their name three or four times, you know. Um, it's, just, it's just a thing. It's just an illustration that our minds are on ourselves. Um, and that really, that is just a consequence of, of sin in our world. And also, um, with the disciples here, we know they're thinking about themselves. Jesus, and they've been in his midst, they're seeing all these things, and they're just going, hey, can I get these good seats, you know? Can I ask you a favor? Can, we, can you do the thing? Can you, ask, can you do whatever I ask? And we also know that they don't know what they need. That's another thing that sin does within us. They don't know what they need. We don't know what we need. There's all kind of things that we will say, hey, um, I want this, I want that, I'm striving for this, I'm striving for that. Uh, but man, they just don't know what they need because what do they ask for? They ask, hey, can we get these good seats? They don't know what they need. And then also, I would say this, um, it causes us to focus on selfish ambition. It's not so, so we don't know what we need we're kind of focused in on ourselves anyway, and then we're focused on selfish ambition. I know all those are in the same ballpark, uh, but we are focused on selfish ambition, and I would even go back to what we, what, you know, that passage in Mark chapter 8, verse 32. We just read it. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This world, the things that we go, this is what I need to be great. If I'm going to be ambitious, I need to go after these things, these things. And then, I'll just flip one more passage here. If you go to Colossians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there now, but Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, says kind of the same thing. Listen to it. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I'd go, man, what if we just did that? What if we just set our minds on the things that are above? We sought the things of the Lord and not just the things that are just, you know, here on the earth. Well, you must do this and you must do that. And all this selfish ambition, I need to rise up. You know, I need to get the good seat. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, when you think through, sometimes, you're, you know, some of you folks are a part of the... Uh, a business where you might have a staff meeting like I just spoke of, and you always like, oh, the, the, that's the head of the table. That's where, the, that's where the, you know, and you, oh, I just really want to be there one day, and I want to move closer, so and so forth. You want the corner office or whatever, you know? And, uh, you know, here's what they do. With James and John, if you just go back to our text, you know, first of all, they said, um, after Jesus talks about, hey, this is all the bad things that's about to go down, the hard things for me, ultimately 
very glorious things. And they came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> and that's always, uh, we always know that Jesus is smart, right? Everybody agree Jesus is smart? Okay. Um, when somebody comes up and says, hey, I want you to do whatever I ask, you probably ought to know what the request is first, right? You need to know what you're about to agree to. Um, and it does happen in my house a lot. Um, you know, my, my wife will ask me, hey, can you do me a favor? That's how it starts. And I'm always like, I don't know. <laughs> what, what is that favor? I don't want to just, uh, you know, say, yeah, absolutely. What is it? Because you never know what it's going to be, you know? And so, uh, can you do me a favor? Well, what is it? Well, these guys go, hey, can you just do whatever we ask of you? And Man, I tell you, after Jesus just got through pouring out everything that's going to go down, man, what a gracious response he gives with, okay, what do you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do for you? And then they asked him, hey, we, you know, grant us to sit on one side, to sit one at your right and one hand at your left in your glory. The biggest places, right, for the, the most exalted, the, the greatest ones, they will sit on your right and your left. That's what they asked for. Out of all these things they could have asked for, they asked for that. Man, what a trip, you know? I don't know. I I just know this whole place of the good seats and the bad seats. You know, you can think about any sporting event. And I've also seen them over the years um, at wedding receptions. You know, you got the head table. That's where the bride, the groom, and the bridal party is. And uh, we were at a wedding in Arkansas. I don't know, man. I don't know six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, somewhere in the last few months. And, you know, you walk in and you're looking for your place card and where's my table. And I'm just going to say this, it's always better to start at the end, start at the worst table and move your way up, <laughs> you know, versus starting at the front table and go, I should be here. Um, and we were misplaced. We were misplaced at this wedding reception. Why? We, we were, my family, we were sitting at the best table. Like even the, the, the family of the groom was sitting at a worse table. They were kind of sitting behind us, and I just went, somebody messed up here, you know? But I just want you to think about it, and we just enjoyed it because, hey, whatever, we fell into it. But whenever you think about, I want the best seat, I've got to have this, I have to achieve, I want to leapfrog over people, you know? I don't, I'm not thinking about other people. I want to, I'm only thinking about how I can rise up. That's where the problem comes in. That's where it comes in. And then, you know, what Jesus says to them, let's keep working through our text. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Now, in the Old Testament, the cup is like a divine, it represents divine judgment against human sin. Jesus is like, you're able to drink this? Because I'm about to take the wrath of God all on myself. He goes, you able to do that? And then he says, or to be baptized? with the which I'm about to be baptized. And just to be succinct this morning, that's just full immersion. There's no like halfway here. Are you able to drink the cup of God's wrath and just go all the way? You know, we were blessed to experience together a baptism last week where, you know, a little Selah was, you know, it's all in. It's that death, you know? And Jesus was like, okay, I just told you that I'm about to be flogged, spit upon, and killed. And you go, okay, hey, can we get, can I ask you a favor? And can we get some good seats? And then, uh, and then he goes, hey, what's the deal? What's going on here? Do you really think that you could take this cup? Do you really think you could be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized in? And then they were like, well, you just know they don't get it. They're like, look at it, 39. They're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. We're able. <laughs> we can do it. And Jesus said to them, 
the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, hold on, I lost my notes. There it is. And with the baptism and with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And we know from church history that James and John, yes, it didn't go well for them. And so here's the thing. Jesus says, are you able to do it? And they said, yeah, but they don't even know what they're asking. And then it says with this, verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand, because he's now still answering the question, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. Real suffering's coming for you, James and John, but hey, here's the deal. And I, I think the message that we cannot miss right here is that suffering Suffering for God does not guarantee any sort of like, now you get better seats or whatever, okay? Does not guarantee that. He's telling them right here, you're going to suffer. But that, hey, look, man, God's got that whole who seats where thing laid out. That's not for me to even talk about. Because I think we have this misconception a lot of times where, you know, you can make a bunch of money doing a, a job, but you decide to be a, a minister at a church or a missionary and, and you're, you're making a lot less and you're going through some suffering that other people don't go through and sometimes it could be a temptation to go, yep, check it out. You know, I'm getting, you know, getting, I'm going to get the good seats. No way we're not really thinking in terms of seats, but you get it. Those things don't necessarily equate. It just really comes down to being faithful to God who's called us to be servants of all. And here's what else. Going back to just how we see things, another thing that sin does for our, in our lives, it just causes us to be angry. It causes us to be angry when um, other people are doing things that you don't think they should do, and uh, you know, or people get a, an advantage that you don't think they should have over you. And we see it in verse 41, where it says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, that's a big word. We got the kids in here today, so let's just go. Indignant is really, 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 really mad, okay? It's not like, yeah, it's a little frustrating. They're really, really mad. And, but why? Well, maybe because they didn't think of it first. But you know what else? Here's what else. This is what I love about this. I think they're also indignant because of the way they asked. See, in Matthew chapter 20, we get the other parallel account of this. And you know who led the charge in the asking for James and John? Their mother. <laughs> they, they going up and then, you know, so it's, it's James and John and their mother. If you go back, it's in Matthew 20. And G, the mother goes up first and says, hey, Jesus, you know, essentially, my boys are good boys. What would you say about them sitting on the right and the left? You know, and so then you got these other 10 guys out here seeing what's going on. And then, you know, then they got to come deal with them, you know? And I think part of it's going to be, you know what a problem I got with you is? Your mama, right? You got your mama to come and ask Jesus? I mean, that's even worse, you know? At least have the courage to, you know, ask yourself. That's the thing. And again, this is just me, but I got to imagine that the person that's the most mad in this whole thing, the most indignant one, I think it's got to be Peter, Right? I mean, Peter, the way Jesus operates with groups of people is he's, he's got the masses. They get all the people, but then he's got the 12, you know, the disciples. And then he's got the three. It's Peter, James, and John. I mean, they're the transfiguration boys, you know. They were part of the transfiguration. And then, you know, he's got, what happened to Peter? I think Peter's going to go, hey, man, we're all together. What, what's, what's, the, what's the deal? And 
don't know how that conversation goes. Well, there's only, there's only two seats, you know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, what, a, what a mess. But the disciples, they're so mad. And I love what Jesus does next. Look at verse 42. And he called them to him. And you see this over and over again when the disciples are, you know, they're, they're, they're down the road. You can read it earlier in the book of Mark. Yeah, they, you know, they're, like, they're, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest all the time. And, and what Jesus does is he pulls them aside. We got a bunch, we got a big crowd out here. It's like, hey guys, come here. You know, he cares about their unity. You know, I love it. He calls them to him and says, let me give you, let me, let me tell you how you're missing this. He says, you know, this is the middle of 42, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, let me stop right there. We don't have a lot of time, but just for the, especially for the kids, that's the nations, that's the world, okay? The rulers of the world, all the people that you see, the normal, everyday rulers that you see, what do they do? They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. So now I want you to think about it. Who's that in your life? Maybe somebody comes to mind. Somebody that's exercising great authority over you. Somebody who is ruling over you. And the kids may think, oh, that's my mom right there or my dad, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But here's, here's the deal. You know, sometimes people take positions of power and authority and they just, man, they just, oh, they're just energized by that power position. Yeah, you know, that's the... Uh, but here's the deal. I think every parent at least once, I know my wife and I uh, more than a bunch of times, sometimes, you know, you're kind of trying to get your kids to do something, and, well, well why? Just because I said so. That's why, you know? Uh, yeah, that's the bottom line response. And we always try to work above that, you know, try to work from that and go, hey, let's, let, let's really talk, you know, because I'm, I'm, your, I'm your mom, I'm your dad, and I love you, let me help you, versus the I said so, just shut your mouth and obey. Um, yeah. So we have people. That's just what the world does. I've got authority. I've got power. I'm just going to rule over you and do what I say and boom, 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 boom. Uh, we, we experience that in the workplace. Uh, you know, we experience that in all sorts of organizations. Um, and everybody's ruled by somebody. It, it's, none of us are outside of authority here on this earth. So he says this. He says this is how the world kind of operates. And then verse 43, first phrase here. In the ESV it says it like this but it shall not be so among you. If you have the NIV, I like it a little bit better because it's more succinct, and it is the title of the sermon, Not So With You. So Jesus has a teaching moment here, and he's going, okay, so the disciples, James and John, they're looking for the best places, and then they start to do a little bit of this with the other 10. Jesus calls them aside and goes, hey, let me just tell you something real quick. This is how the world operates, not so with you. We're going to do it differently, not so with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then he takes the, the word servant and even ratchets it up in verse 44. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Oh. Jesus says, here's how the world does it, and here's how we're going to do it. Here's how you're going to do it. We're going to keep our eyes, we're going to set our eyes on the things that are above, not the things that are below. We're going to keep our eyes not on the things of this world, but the things of the kingdom of God. And then the greatest example of a servant, we know it's not John Mark who we spoke about, 
It's none of us in here who may serve, you know, faithfully week in, week out in kids' ministry or whatever, but it's Jesus. And so that's why I like the fact that we have this passage this morning as we kick off this series on being a servant. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We mess it up. Don't you dare sit there and go, I can't believe the disciples messed that up, right? Oh, man, we mess it up all the time. We lose sight of what it really means to be servant of all, to serve others, to see others better than ourselves, as it says in Scripture, to follow the example of Jesus, to keep our eyes set on the things that are above. And so here's just a few things to take away from this morning's passage. Um, it's this. I would say what I would love to, you know, we, we're starting this way of Jesus um, chapter, I guess, in our sermon series or ongoing sermon series, and it's servanthood. Uh, we did talk about meditation a while back. I think, you know, and I meet with a lot of people uh, during the week, and oftentimes, yeah, I'm trying to get in the Word of God. I don't really know where to start, where to go. I got this devotional, don't really like, whatever. I, you know, take these verses that we just talked about, that we just, we read earlier, especially the verses 32 through 34 about what's happening to Jesus. And I would just read it, and I would meditate on it. Just meditate on it. And just see what the Spirit does in your heart as you just read it and think and just sit in what Jesus has done for you. I just, uh, you never know what God can do through that. Other thing, too, is just practical examples. First of all, I would say this. That, it's another phrase. I would have you guys memorize this phrase, not so with you. Not too hard, right? Close your eyes right now. Not so with you. You get it. Not hard. That's how it's worded in the NIV, but it's not going to be so among you. When Jesus says, here's the world, not, but not so with you. Not so with you. I want you to then bring that back and go, okay, are you, my question to you is this, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? And if you say yes, if you are there, then you know what? Not so with you absolutely applies. And so what I would love for all of us to do this week moving forward is to just do a real, an inventory, a searching of our hearts moment by moment. And when you realize, when you get to say work tomorrow, many people are off tomorrow, but if you go to work tomorrow and you know, you find some, you, you're trying to leapfrog a little bit, you're looking for the promotion, da, 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 okay, at least examine that and go, is that a, is that a, should you say to yourself, not so with me. Not so with me. Or when you're trying to, you know, hustling in, it's all sorts of examples. You're trying to hustle in, you know, you, you know somebody, you're coming up on a parking spot. Is it their spot or your spot? Not so with me, you know. How do you serve? How do you serve? Can you put the, uh, the, the first, the, the, the series slide back on? Because I want to read again, embodying Christ-likeness and attitudes and actions to enlarge the lives of others. Remember that. So if we think about serving, we got to have a definition for serving, and that's our definition. Embodying Christ-like attitudes and actions to enlarge the service, to enlarge the lives of others. And since we have kids in here, maybe it comes up with, you know, I don't know if y'all's kids ever get, get upset uh, when somebody's in my room or touch my stuff or whatever. For the kids in here, maybe you go, man, that's my toy, not his or hers, and you go, not so with me. You know, take that. 
I don't know what it looks like for you. You know, on 4th of July, for those guys out there who, I'm in this ballpark, well, I can make the best steak. Mm. <laughs> my, my steak's better than your steak, you know. Not so with me, you know. Let's go with the way that you grill a steak. All these little things, you know. But anytime you find yourself focusing on your need, your need to exalt yourself, to elevate yourself over other people, as James and John did over the other disciples with the help of their mama, and anytime you see yourself just, I just, you know, I don't want to serve. I don't want to go do this because, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm above that. Whatever. Just ask the Lord to speak to you and let him do the work. Meditate on what he did for us as the greatest example of a servant. Just meditate on that all week long. And then find yourselves in moments where you start to do this way, but you recognize you're not seeking the things that are above, but you're seeking the things of the world, and you go, not so with me. From the grace of Jesus Christ, not so with me. And I'm going to give you, I want to tell you one more story about a guy closing out here. And um, the guy is actually, it's, it's John. It's the same John that we talk about, that we've been reading here, you know. James and John, that John, here's what I love about it. He's going, okay, hearing all the stuff, not quite understanding. And then what happens? We get him in this moment where he's just like self-centered, thinking about himself. But we know that he eventually gets it. And why? Because we have a letter that he wrote, 1 John. And he is a much older man. So over the course of time, he writes these words. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Think about the movement. Let's exclude the 10. Can I get a good seat? By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What does that look like? I mean, you know, I hope that we all get that a little bit more even this moment. Um, maybe it takes us a long time. We don't know, know how long it took, John. But and I just, life's better Greatness really comes through knowing who you are in Christ, knowing what Christ has done for us, and then living from that as we look at ourselves in the mirror and as we act. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, help us. That is our prayer. It's a challenging text this morning, um, Lord, and you have, um, you've exposed some things in my own heart over this week, and I pray, Lord, that um, that even this morning, that your scripture, um, as we look at the disciples, will be like a mirror, would help us see ourselves, and that we would lean into your grace. And Lord, we thank you, because um, your, your blood covers all of our sins, and we know that you are compassionate. We know that you are patient with us, just as you demonstrated with James and John. We know that's how you are with us. And so may we lean into you, may we lean into your grace. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Mike. Um, just a couple of quick announcements as we go. Um, first of all, our students and leaders, there's a good group of them tomorrow leaving for Camp Glorietta. And so we just want to remind you throughout the week, pray for them that God would do uh, a work in them. Give them safe travels, yes, all of that. 
um, but work in their hearts. And we know uh, we know God has something students in store for you, and even leaders. We know He has something in store for you as you go. Um, a couple other things: we had our pop-up party, our first one at the Hub. We realized it was the second hottest day of the year, but it was a, actually a good group that came out there. But our next one will be air-conditioned and involve uh, Froyo. So we want to encourage you, just put this on your calendar because a lot of you will be out of town this next week. The Tuesday you get back, July 11th, uh, Yogurtville is right down the street, 7 p.m. I already forewarned the guy. What we want to do is bless that business's socks off and just enjoy some some Froyo and fellowship together. Um, third, Mike was just up here, but 56ers had a great time a couple of Wednesdays ago. Their next Wednesday hangout is July 2nd. Um, uh, and so just let Mike know he, he gets pizza and stuff for them. So RSVP with Mike. And then lastly, on the 18th, um, ladies, there's a women's pack and pray. Uh, Y'all are going to be doing welcome gifts for international students, uh, particularly for our friends, the Adamses, who minister among them. And um, it's just a great, great way for us to su- serve and support their ministry um, as they continue to be Jesus' hands and feet uh, on campus. And so, ladies, just want to encourage you to put that on your calendars and, and uh, get there. Now, if you'd stand, I'm going to give us a benediction, and we are dismissed. Uh, first, I want um, each of us, all of us together, to just repeat what Mike said, giving that benediction to us. Um, and just, it is not so with us. Let's say that. Not so with us. And from Hebrews, may the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week.